soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So tonight as we come to chapter 32 of Numbers, we read 31 and 32 the other night on Tuesday, and 32 is where the two and a half tribes of the 12 tribes decide that they want to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. We know that Israel is 12 tribes, the Levites are set apart, they don't get a land inheritance, so then the tribe of Joseph is subdivided into Manasseh and Ephraim, thus we have 12 plus 1. Really, Now, the Levites have the city property and the common lands, but no large territories like the 12 tribes would get. And God originally promised the dimensions of a land to Abraham over 400 years before for his descendants. And it's promised to Israel, reaffirmed. And the promised land is on that side of the Jordan River, not the east side, but the west side. And so he's given them the victories on the east side over Sihon and Og and the various things that happened there. And they're all there on the plain of Moab, and they're just a few months from crossing over to enter into the promises that were made centuries before to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And it's all coming to fruition, and they're on the cusp of just this incredible journey. We saw the census of the old generation. Everyone over 20 has died in the wilderness for their unbelief except for Joshua and Caleb. And now there's a new census of the next generation, and they're... They're, they're rising up. The, the planet always is handed off to a new generation. And it's for them, the people of covenant, like Scott was just saying, we're, we're people of covenant of love. And God's covenant with his people Israel was a covenant of love. And there they are. And they're on the, the verge of entering the promised land. And we pick that up background as we pick up the text tonight. So we read this. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the re- region was place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Shabam, Nebo, and Beon, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barina to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenzanite, 
and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. This is the initial dialogue. So these leaders of these tribes, representing hundreds of thousands of people, they come to Moses, almost like we saw with the daughters of Zolophat, how they came to Moses, the sisters, and they said, hey, we got, we've been thinking about something, and they put forth what they were thinking, and now these leaders from these tribes, Gad and Reuben, come forth, and they're like, hey, we've been thinking about things, and we have some ideas, and we want to run this by you and, and see what you think. And Moses' initial reaction is classic Moses, like, what are you guys thinking? Like, have you learned nothing in 48 years of wilderness wandering? Have you learned nothing? Like, this, this is a bad idea. Well, as the story unfolds for the rest of the chapter, we don't need to read it. I'll summarize it for us. They come back and say, no, no, what we'll do is we will build, you know, forts here and stalls for all of our herds. And we'll go, we'll go over with you guys and we'll conquer the land with you, with the other tribes. And then when the war is done and everyone's got their inheritance, then we'll come back to our inheritance. And Moses like, okay, well, if you do that, okay, if you do that, if that's what you want to do and you do that, then you can do that. But know that if you don't do that, that your sin will find you out. So you need to do it. If you're still going to do it, you're going to do it. And they said, yeah, we're going to do it. So then they consolidated their land on the east side. In fact, the half-tribe of Manasseh joins in on it and they, they commit and they take a couple more villages and cities and say, these are ours now. And so two and a half tribes settle on the east side of the Jordan River, which is, you know, obviously facing east where the Midianites had been, the Moabites, the Ammonites, all these people historically over there, what is now modern Jordan, and they're on that side of the river. That river is a natural boundary. You know, rivers, of course, in military defenses are a very, you know, they're better than walls. Rivers are natural boundaries like the Rhine in Europe and the Danube and things like that. Rivers are Great boundaries for military defenses and consolidation of people and resources and retreats and stuff like that. But they choose to be on this side of the river where the people they conquered, some are still around, and they're exposed to everything on that side of the river, which is Assyria, Syria, Ammonites, Edomites, Moabites. They're all still there, scattered. And they say, this is where we want to be. And God said, okay, that's your choice. Now, I want to do a survey of the history of these tribes briefly before we get into this text tonight so you understand how it all played out. This took place around 1400 BC, all right? So right about this time, right after this, they do go in. They, they do exactly what they said they do. They did go in with the other tribes into the promised land, and they did fight the battles, and they provided troops and everything, and they completely did what they said they're going to do. So we need to note that and say, wow, that's awesome. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, near the end, when there's prophecies being spoken about the different tribes, it says of Gad that they're like a rising lion. They were warriors, and they were, essentially it says in that type of poetic element, they were very successful in, in battle and in combat. So we know as Gad crossed over the Jordan River and helped the other tribes, they were, they're like, they're guys you want on your side. They were brave in combat, and they did what they needed to do, and God's word affirms that for us. We also know that, well, that's like prophetically speaking of what they do. We also know which they did do. And then in the book of Joshua, 
which comes chronologically after this in the Bible and chronologically on the timeline, after the land was conquered, they do go back. So they go back to their families and their estates and all these things, and they build an altar. And as soon as they build this altar, it's a, it's a huge disruption for the Jewish people. Like, what, what, like what, what are we doing? The other tribes are like, what are you guys doing? You'll have no other altars. We, there's a central place of worship. So the other tribes basically declare war on them and come to the Jordan River ready to wipe them out. And they come out, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. This is an altar for animal sacrifices, speaking of Christ. That's on that side of the river. This is an altar of witness that when time goes by, and we're on this side of the river, and you're on that side of the river, that you don't forget where your relatives and your family on this side of the river. This altar is to remind you that we're with you. We're, we're part of the 12 tribes. So geographically, we're separated by this river, the Jordan River, but this is a witness. So when the coming generations come, future generations don't know nothing about these things. And the times that we went through, like every generation, right? Who remembers the details of World War I? You don't. I don't. And We'll soon die. Won't remember watching the news on Vietnam War, right? We'll all be gone. Like, the generations come and go. And so when they come and go, that there'll be this rock of witness that says, we're with you and we're all one in Israel, but we're on this side, outside the promised land, but a land that God conquered for us, which we saw in the text, it's our land that we chose to settle in. And like, okay, we get that. Yeah, that, that works. That works. All right. That works. Then later on, about 300 years later, at the end of the book of Judges, there's this horrible story where this woman gets raped. And um, through it all, the tribes of Israel come against the tribe of Benjamin for allowing it to happen in their territories. And so they make war. There's a civil war, a brief civil war in Israel over this. And when the war is done, and it was a bloody war, it was quick, it was violent, but when it was done, Benjamin was short of women because they're short of their numbers and they're afraid that the tribe might actually disappear because the loss of life in the war, like a disappearing people group within the 12 tribes. So they say, now who, and they made an agreement, the rest of Israel, to go do war with Benjamin and to give none of their children to the tribe of Benjamin. So they made this hasty oath and they said this and they realized, that wasn't a good oath. We shouldn't have done that because now Benjamin's almost wiped out and we've all agreed not to give any of our children to marry into the tribe of Benjamin. Who didn't go with us on this agreement? And he said, well, uh, Jabez Gilead didn't go with us. That's this side of the Jordan, the east side. So in that brief civil war, Jabez Gilead, a major city for the east side tribes, did not send people and did not make that covenant. So then the rest of Israel attacked the city of Jabez Gilead, took the virgins and gave them to the tribe of Benjamin so they could keep the tribe alive, which is somewhat similar to the daughters of Zolophad because those women would no longer be identified with their tribes on the east side, but they're actually merged into the tribes on the west side, the tribe of Benjamin, which the daughters of Zolophad would do if they chose not to marry into their tribe, which we studied in detail a couple weeks ago. So it was a resolution but in that story, those women came from the east side because that city did not enter into the dispute within Israel, which just shows that they were distant, right? Out of sight, out of mind. They, they were not engaged in a major event that affected all of Israel on the other side of the river. And then finally, another story about them. King Saul, we all know King Saul, the first king of Israel. He looked like a king. He acted like a king once he was the king. And his first great victory was rescuing, of all things, Jabesh Gilead, that side of the river. A cry came out where the Amorites rose up against the people on the east side because there's no natural boundary. You don't have to cross the river to get to those guys. And the Amorites got stronger, and they showed up, and they said, hey, 
we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wipe you out. And the Israelis on that side said, well, what can we do? And they said, well, we'll poke your eyes out and you can pay tribute and we'll let you live. And they said, give us one week to decide if we're going to surrender to you or fight you. Well, then they sent messengers across the river to the other side. King Saul, early on in his reign, comes across, leads a victory, and they destroy the Ammonites on that side of the, the river. And he delivers Jabez Gilead. And it's before Saul did anything wrong. So I can actually tell you something about these tribes on the east side. The one really good thing on his career stat, King Saul, was the victory that he had crossing the river to deliver them when they were besieged by the Ammonites. Not the Amorites, but the Ammonites. So that's what we have with them. Now that's around 1000 BC. So I just gave you 400 years of history of these eastern tribes. And then finally, in 722, Assyria came down and conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and they took everybody and displaced everybody, including the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River. So by the time, by 722 BC, that's a pretty good chunk of time, six centuries, they're gone. They're just, they just dissipate into the Middle East, displacement, other people coming in, displacing them. Now, in different parts of the world, there are Jewish communities that associate themselves as being part of the lost tribes of the east side. And there are rabbinical writings that give strong testimony of the genealogical records of Israel showing that they are, in fact, our descendants. And if you Google this stuff, it's fascinating. There are people like Armenia and these other places that have the Jewish blood, have the, the records that would show that they were part of the East tribe. And there's support for that argument, which is also very interesting to me because, of course, God knows where every ethnic Jew is on the planet because they're part of the end game before Jesus comes back. So I share all this because... This is the history of the two and a half tribes, probably at least a half million people who stayed on that side of the river. The context of how it began right here, what followed in the the immediate generation, the subsequent generation, subsequent generations, and throughout their history. So as we come back to the text tonight and we think about this, there's a very interesting phrase that jumps out to us and we have to look at it. It's in verse five. Do not take us over the Jordan. Wow. Just, wow. These are the people of promise. They've been on a death march for 38 years in the wilderness because they wouldn't enter in. And here these guys come together and they say, this is their request. They say to Moses, do not take us over the Jordan. Now, whatever they said before that is not what really matters, but we're still going to break it down. But just this phrase do not take us over the Jordan. Like a modern equivalent would be like for followers of Jesus Christ to say, do not let us enter into abundant life. Do not let us enter a spirit-filled life. Do not let us enter into walking by faith and living by grace. And that's what it's like. I mean, the promised land represents entering into everything God has for us in this life. It's the abundant life in Christ. So when they say, do not take us over the Jordan, that's where, that's where all the promises were. Like everything God had for them, the be- his best for them, everything was on the other side of the Jordan River. That's where all the promises were fully yes and amen. And they're saying, do not give us all the promises. Just let us settle for this, this side. We've got a really good plan that we think our will is better than your will to stay on this side. Wow, what a phrase. Do not take us over the Jordan. Man, no wonder Moses got so upset. Like, you get like, what did you learn in 38 years? You're going to discourage the people. It's like, what, are we even having this conversation? 
They're like, no, 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 it's not like that. And he said, all right. They walked it back, but they stuck to what they wanted. They said, if we found favor in your eyes, do not take us over the Jordan. When we're tempted to not be faithful and pursue all that God has for us, when we're tempted to live by fear and unbelief, division and strife and carnality, it's like us saying, do not take us over the Jordan. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life is to move us from that which is destructive and holding us back and move us toward that which is life in Christ, preparing us for eternity and the abundant life and the joy unspeakable, that our joy would be full. We were singing a song with Scott earlier about like the joy. You change, you know, beauty to ashes and all that song had that in there. The promised land for them was the abundant life in Christ. We've been talking about this for us in the New Testament, in our covenant of love. And as I think about this, particularly as I'm coming up on my anniversary in uh, ministry, my, my wedding anniversary and my ministry anniversary are about the same time. And uh, I think in like, as I'm moving towards 60, my birthday as well, and all these years in ministry and listening to Odin Fong on Thursday morning up at Calvary Downey, you know, 50 years of Calvary experience, just pouring out wisdom upon all these pastors, just thinking about my place, our place in the Calvary Chapel movement, relationship with Brian Broderson, all the Calvary pastors and everything, and just where everything's at in our country right now, the body of Christ, the Calvary movement, just thinking about Vineyard and Lonnie Frisbee and all this stuff, because of course, Odin uh, brought up Lonnie Frisbee quite a bit, and it was, just all, it was all very good. Everything he was saying was very positive. In fact, he says he never watches the news. He just gets up and reads his Bible and says, what do you have for me today, Lord? And I was like, oh, I figured that out at 60, so I'm 10 years ahead of Odin. Because that's what the Lord showed me. And like, don't, don't read, don't watch, don't look. Just, this is the only news I got for you. This is the news I have for you. You know, and seriously, that, I, I can't tell you how enjoyable the last few weeks have been. I can't, don't know. And uh, when, I, when I need to know, the Lord will let me know. But in the meantime, I just know, like, this is what I have for you with me and your characters. What I have for you with your wife. This is what I have for you with your children, your children's children, your guinea pigs and everything else, you know. And, and, and your father and all this is what I got. You know, we got all these moving parts, the WG and outreach missions and everything. This is what I have for you. So that's, that's your news. That's my news for you. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because it's good news always, what God has. But as we think about this, that when they say, don't, don't, don't. Don't take us over this Jordan. And before that, they said, give us, you know, they, they said, give us this land. They're, they're, they're selling themselves short. So they're selling for something way less. Give us this land. But don't take us over to that. And I thought, again, approaching 33 years as a Calvary pastor and stuff and all these things, I'm thinking like, how many times in ministry have I met with people as a pastor in 33 years? in different time zones, under different circumstances, in my own life, in my late 20s, meeting with people at Calvary Vista when they came in for counseling. Look at me, I look like this little kid. And uh, I would just share the Bible, right? And then, and then going to Virginia and being the young minister and everyone wanted to tell me what I should be doing as, as a church and suit and tie people and all this kind of stuff. And, and then eventually going to Vermont and then coming back and then coming to Costa Mesa all those years and then being here and and all the times ministering to people and trying to encourage them, build, build them up. And I, I got to thinking, like, what you really do in ministry as a pastor is try and encourage people to get from the east side of the Jordan to the west side of the Jordan. To not settle for what's on this side, but to get over to that side. To not settle for what God's already done, but to cross over triumphantly and get after all that God wants to do. And that's what ministry is. Like, expand your vision, expand your kingdom, expect great things from God, and attempt great things for God. Because God is great. 
And so often that's what ministry is. It's like people are burdened by what's got them in bondage and got them stuck on the east side of the Jordan River. And it's like, break out of those chains. Let's, let's go. Come on. We got to go this way. Well, things are pretty good over here. We, that's, that's nothing. That's like black and white TV. We, you know, we need to go over here. Like I got my headphones from two years ago. My wife's like, those are nothing. You need these headphones. You know, little, little ear guys, right? I'm like, she put them on like, wow, I can hear like I got a hearing aid on right now. She goes, that's what you need to be using when you're talking on the phone. So I have to listen to you on speaker when you walk around the house. Like the upgrade. Let's get the upgrade. We don't want to say, oh, don't make us cross the Jordan. I'm feeling pretty good where I'm at with the Lord at the age of 50 or 40 or 30 or whatever. Or 70, Odin Fong and Pancho Juarez, uh, who also turning 70 in February. Like, let's just be, be happy where we're at at 70. No, we got we to gotta cross, we got to enter in. Because we saw the last year, a lot of people just said, I'm pretty content over here. I can do church like this. I mean, you know, it's kind of cool. It's like just turn on the TV and, you know, it's like, and people do that. And that's fine. I'm not putting that down. But I think a lot of people determine they're going to settle for less on this side of the Jordan than those who said, we got to get over and get in. But you're here because you want to get over and get in. So I'm not really saying that about us. But lest we become discouraged, as the Bible says, we want to enter in. We want to get to that side. Man, we got we to gotta enter in. I mean, I had a great time with Odin Fong. I love Odin Fong. I really do. I mean, I'm so, I'm so passionate. He's more like the Zen master. When Odin Fong's speaking, I feel like I'm in Tibet. And he's just like, just dropping all these Calvary wisdoms, you know, being 30 years by Chuck's side and all this. I was like, oh, oh, great, Odin. Tell us another keen insight in the word of God. And he just drops like, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, my notes. I'm just like going like this, you know. And he's a, he's a contrast to me. And he's at 70. And he's just like, he's still growing. He's still entering in. I'm still growing. So as we continue to go forward in this year, we don't want to say, don't make us cross the Jordan. That's hard. Going, going on a mission trip or doing this or letting go of that and turning, turning away from this. And like, there are things. Back in the early 2000s, there was that book called Do Hard Things. Those two high school kids, whatever, wrote it. And all of our youth group read it like 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Do Hard Things. Yeah, because... That's part of the process. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be transforming what God's doing. And if we stay on the east side of the Jordan River, we're stunted in our growth. We got to go. And even though those guys went and won those battles, they're part of it. It must have been weird fighting battles for the promised land when you're not going to go there. And how strange it was when they did that, because when they got back to their side of the river, like, hey, we suddenly realized in the extent of this division that our decision to stay on this side could cause problems for our offspring down the road. We need to build this altar of witness because we suddenly feel like we realize now there's a river that's between us and them and they're really over there and we're over here and we're outside the castle and the fort. Like in Russia, you know, the, Krem- the Kremlin's a fort, if you don't know what Kremlin means. And there's Kremlins all over Russia. And there when I was in Nizhny Novgorod on the, the, the Volga River, the, the Huns, well, the, Mon- the Mongols came this way in the 1100s, the 1200s, and they just did everything they did. And then the Swedes came down from the north and all this stuff. So the way the river rolls through Nizhny Novgorod, it's a couple million people, is there was a, a monastery where the Russian Orthodox you know, monks and those guys were. I went to that monastery. It was incredible to be there and see these paintings from like 800 years ago. But they would guard the north end of the river, and if they saw stuff coming from the north, like Vikings and stuff like that, they would run a mile and a half to the Kremlin, 
And the Kremlin's on the hill. It's still there in, in Nizhny Novgorod today. You, you'd walk about 2,000 steps to go up to it. It's so high up on the hill over the Volga River. Incredible view. But that's the Kremlin. And all the surrounding people that lived in the village, when there was raiders, they would all go inside the Kremlin, right? Well, that's that side of the Jordan. No one wants to be outside the Kremlin when the Mongols are coming. Genghis Khan and his descendants, Right? That's the idea. They got back from the war and they realized, we're outside the Kremlin. We're outside our boundaries. And we're exposed here. So we need to build a witness so when we're in trouble, they'll come help us. Which, of course, I said, King Saul did hundreds of years later. We don't want to come short. And as I think about the human experience and ministry in the body of Christ for 33 years, I realize so often people settle for second best. And that's the east side of the Jordan River. I settle for second best, and I don't want to settle for second best. This is the last year of my life. I don't want to settle for second best. I don't want to settle for less than all that God has for me. I want to pursue completely everything on the east side, the west side of the Jordan River, and get off the east side. And so I think about people settling for second best with decisions concerning jobs, school, churches, relationships, life itself. I actually said this the other day. It's one of my life sayings. I have learned in the human experience, people will take a known dysfunction over a step of faith toward a healthier function. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.